Hello, this is Eden on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. Welcome back to my show, Garden of Eden. It's Garden of Eden and I'm your host. I talk about what I like most. Garden of Eden! (laughs) I'm so, so happy to say that this episode is Jenny Holzer's Truisms 2. I did the first episode in this, I guess you could say series now, last year with my friends Kate and Kelly, and to this day, it's my favorite episode that I've ever done. I just think that Jenny Holzer as a person and her truisms are fascinating. Um, Before we get right into the interesting part, the discussion, I want to give a little bit of background on who Jenny Holzer is and what her work is. So Jenny Holzer is an American artist based in New York, and the main focus of her work is the delivery of words and ideas in public spaces. And she's most known for her truisms. Truisms, by definition, are statements that are obviously true and say nothing new or interesting. But she takes truisms, quote-unquote truisms, that are actually really, really up for discussion, and different people have different interpretations of all of them. So basically, she posts these truisms different places in an effort to spark discussion among people and, and yeah, just get people talking. Without further ado, let's get into the bulk of this episode where I and a few of my friends discuss some of Jenny Holzer's truisms. I'm here today with... Kate! Kelly! And Lily! Yay! <laughs> okay! <laughs> Well, I'm so excited to have you guys here today discussing truisms. And I think a good place to start would be, Lily, you brought truisms into our lives. How did truisms come into your life? So I was in San Francisco and I went to their Museum of Modern Art and there was an art installation by the artist Jenny Holzer. And it was basically like a flashing sign that you would see outside of like a restaurant. And it was just saying the truisms. And it was a weird experience because usually when I go to museums, I have like a really short attention span and I'll look at something for two seconds and walk away. But I just could not look away from this because every statement was so provocative and then it would go away so fast. And it was just really entrancing. So, yeah. I feel like the truisms exhibits are made for our friend group because we've always kind of enjoyed having discussions like this about random things and debating. Well, some people would say discussing, but sometimes it it borderlines debating. In our conversations, there's a winner and a loser. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think think Kelly does think that there's a winner and a loser sometimes. Because there is. (laughs) So the first one I have lined up is there's a fine line between information and propaganda. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I feel like my general first thought, and this might change, that's what I like about truisms is I might think about it for like 30 more seconds and then be like, wait, now I don't agree. But as of right now, I feel like, I think there is a fine line between information and propaganda. I'll see stuff where I'll be like, this feels informational, but it's probably skewed. And then how do you define propaganda really? Because maybe everything we're being surrounded by is like propaganda in some way. I mean, I think with, especially the political atmosphere right now on social media, you hear the word propaganda a lot. Like 
when, for example, Trump got banned on Twitter, Trump supporters were like, Twitter's pushing their propaganda by doing this. And so I think, especially with social media, the line gets a lot thinner. Yeah, I think not even a line. I think there's a ton of overlap. I think information can definitely be used as propaganda. For example, like any single statistic when it's not given in context can be perfectly accurate and perfectly true and still be used as propaganda and be really misinterpreted, right? And have the point of the information in the first place be totally skewed. Also, when, when, if ever, is information presented without an agenda? I feel like information is always presented with a point to prove one way or another that can, and it can be completely interpreted the opposite way a lot of the time. Yeah. And I'm even, I don't know why this is what first came to mind is like those signs in the school hallways where it's like (laughs) 79% of your grade doesn't smoke marijuana or whatever. Like that's information. And technically you could say that it's propaganda. Well, what would you, what is propaganda like defined as? Oh, I can look it up if we want. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that. I think it's interesting because how we've been introduced to propaganda in school is like looking at artwork from the 70s about like communism and it's very um it lacks nuance one could say (laughs) it will be like everything in flames and it'll be like this is the world with communism and I think that is almost in a way a little less pernicious than the Mm -hmm. propaganda you could say that we're surrounded by because sometimes now it's more difficult to label something as propaganda. Official definition of propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. So it's just information. It's just <laughs> okay, information. Wow. <laughs> it's just information, but like in order to do something, in order to prove a point. Whoa, Kelly, what you said about information almost always being propaganda, like I didn't even think about that. And it's so accurate. When is it not? When are you yeah. ever given a fact and just been like left to interpret it yourself? I feel like that doesn't really happen. I usually don't get a fact without context for some purpose. Mm-hmm. And it always feels like even if there's like a side that you know is wrong and you get into like a debate with someone and you know they're wrong, but then they like have all of these statistics that they can pull out on you. And you're like, yeah. I mean, I guess those are right. But like something in me tells me that you're not giving me the full story there. And it's so frustrating to debate those people. And so in a way you could almost, I feel like we do this for everything in our friend group. We put everything on a spectrum, mm-hmm. but I do yes. think there's one end of the spectrum, which is like the posters that we see in school and then probably on the other end is like, I don't even know, maybe like a paragraph from a textbook in school, but even that is like, mm-hmm. and then it's like a sliding scale, like everything right. is somewhere on the And spectrum. I also think that there's a difference between distorting facts and not presenting them within the proper context, like the right information behind them, and then just ignoring facts altogether and making up and publishing your own narrative on the topic because like that happens too people just making blatant lies that are also considered propaganda right well yeah, yeah I think the issues of like misinformation and disinformation are separate from using facts as propaganda because I mean you can take parts of anything and twist them um this is like we talked about this in psychology didn't we where you, like you take a really long graph and then you take just like a tiny snippet of the graph where like there's an exponential increase but then it flattens out and yeah. it looks like there's an exponential increase when really that's not like the whole picture. Yeah, mm-hmm. or they do that a lot with climate change um, graphs and they're like zoom in yeah. really tight and they're like, see, there's no 
there's no actual change and then you'll like zoom out just a little bit and you'll see that like we're on a like cataclysmic slope into nowhere and like oh no (laughs) (laughs) it shouldn't be funny but it is oh my god ends are asked like this was another example from psych where if if you hear like there's a five percent chance that you'll die versus a 95 percent chance that you'll survive like different from hearing the two even though they're exact exactly the same so even just like very subtle wording can um mess with us and we don't realize it which is a little scary it's marketing my mom complains about this all the time she is a statistician just for some context (laughs) so she's not ranting about these issues for no reason but she'll talk all the time about um commercials and ads saying oh your mortality risk of this super rare disease goes up five times after you use this certain product. But if the mortality risk is already 0.00001 and it goes up to 0.00005, that's barely any change. And it's well within the margin of error, but they can present that misinformation as a really scary number and have everyone like freak out when they hear it. Wow. These little things that you don't think about. These ways that we're so easily manipulated into believing things. <laughs> I do think, though, we should move on to the next truism. <laughs> um, but honestly, we could probably take one of these and talk about it for an entire episode, if I'm being honest. The next one I have is you should enjoy yourself because you can't change anything anyway. I kind of agree, sort of. This to me has kind of a bit of a nihilistic tone to it. I, I knew you, one of you guys was going to bring up nihilism today. <laughs> We're all going to die. Just have fun while you can. Nothing matters. Well, but I don't agree with the idea that you can't change anything anyway. I think that there are a lot of things in your life that are left to fate, but I think that there are lots of things that are within your control that you can change. Like, ugh, I hate my hair color. I'm going to dye it blue. I think what it's more talking about is like big issues though. Like um, dyeing your hair, I would classify under the umbrella of enjoying yourself and like just doing things for yourself. But I think what it means is like changing big things is like how many issues are you going to care about? There's so much wrong with this world. And does it really feel like you personally can make a difference? And I would argue that you personally will make no difference whatsoever and your life is basically worthless. But there, that's a good thing because there isn't just one of you out there in the world. There's a bunch of people in this world and you can work together with them to make change. That's kind of where I, where I interpreted it. Like, I think the idea of not being able to make change as one person is completely against the sort of narcissistic idea that like I can save the world, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. I think there's a way of, quote, enjoying yourself and maybe not making a difference for your own sake, but like with other people. When I think about this too much, like Kelly, you seem to find some sort of comfort in nihilism and the idea that nothing you do really (laughs) matters. But when I think about that, it, it makes me feel like my existence is just so trivial and I lose a little bit of hope. Okay, okay, yes, I agree. I like nihilism and the way that I've, I see it and the way it's been explained to me, life inherently has no meaning whatsoever and we are all floating on a rock in space and we'll all die and nothing nothing will be after us and nothing will be before us but it doesn't seem that everything is after and everything is before so there's no meaning in the world right that's why you have to find and make your own meaning and if that means helping the people around you and finding love and cherishing the small things then that's what you do 
but you're I'm, doing it for yourself exactly is the, is the thing like no, nobody's helping other people because they actually like they're helping other people to make themselves feel better or you're helping other people please because you love the people around you and I, yeah. I I love the human race and I want it to succeed and I want other people to be happy because that makes me happy I agree I just you're reminding me of the time when you sent me this YouTube video that was like 30 minutes long that showed the what was it the timeline of the universe from like the, the big bang to the last particle floating in space and then just like exploding total total yeah. heat death yes total darkness it was mind-blowing because you watch this 30 minute video and and the span of the earth being in it and the human race being in it is like five seconds and then we're just gone I watch a video like that and I'm like if you're going with this whole nihilism argument and everything exists before us and everything will exist after us, why do I care so much about like wearing a shirt that looks weird on me? Maybe and someone will judge me or asking that one person to hang out. Like it makes me feel bad about thinking about these tiny little things when they just don't matter. Exactly. I so I guess I do find comfort in that. I feel like nihilism comes in handy when things are not going well, but you want to ignore it when they are. So like, I don't know. I feel like it's a comforting thought. And if I do bad on a test or like I have a bad day, like, oh, I will be obliterated. And like, <laughs> whatever, oh my everyone I know will be dead. <laughs> so it has no significance. But if things are going well, you want to believe that like they matter. That's fair. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Plus, I mean, I was thinking about this thing the other day like sometimes you you feel bad for like thinking about yourself literally all the time and how everything affects you but I mean it's my world and everybody's living in it because because it is like everything I do and everyone I interact with affects me I don't choose what affects Lily and what decisions Lily makes so I don't know I think if I get a good grade on a test and it makes me feel good that's all that matters because I'm the only person that no, that makes me sound super, super selfish and narcissistic. But you kind of see what I mean. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, yeah, it's true though. In, in everyone's world, like they are the center of their universe and everything else is just like factors floating around them. Mm -hmm. And that's for everyone. It's not because you're narcissistic or like ridiculously self-absorbed. It's just like how our minds are wired. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I think- Happy note. Should we go to the, to the next one? Yeah. Next one is you can't expect people to be something they're not. Um, my initial thoughts with this one, I, I want to be in agreement, but I also think it depends on what it means to be something you're not because people have potential and they haven't reached their potential. And I, I think it can be helpful to expect somebody to go for their potential or go for their dreams or whatever but I think it can be equally harmful to expect something of a person that isn't in line with who they actually are. Similarly, I think there are people around me that expect me to be things that I'm not, but that thing that I'm not, that they're expecting, it might be a better version of myself and something that I can actually achieve. And being surrounded by those people that see that for me could be a motivating factor in my life. Um, but like Kate said, I think it's important to understand who someone is at their core and if you're expecting that to change then you know that's unhealthy not only for the person that you want to be different because that's a hard thing for them to be surrounded by but also for you because you're not going to get your way it will only lead to disappointment if that made sense that was very profound 
No, that totally made sense. I just think my initial take was that saying you can't expect people to be something they're they're not justifies a little bit too much Mm -hmm. because if someone makes a decision that you don't like or is just like kind of mean or acts really incessantly all the time like Lily was saying there are little things that that people can work towards self-improvement and I don't think that just because someone has a certain personality means that parts of that personality can't change I would say that I think there's a difference between expecting something from someone and hoping for them to eventually achieve a better version of themselves. I think what we've talked about so far is, okay, I want for you to be nicer. I am hoping for that better version of yourself so you can grow and change as a person. But I think there's a different version of that where you're expecting a version of someone or like you're going into a romantic relationship or something. And the person that you're with, they have this characteristic. It's not good or bad, but you keep staying with them and like expecting them to change when that's just not who they are. Mm-hmm. And like keep getting disappointed every time. I think it can be really freeing to let go of our expectations of other people in certain ways. I think for me almost that's been a part of maturing is it's been difficult for me to understand if someone is behaving in a way that I dislike to just kind of let it go and say this is who they are and I don't have control over this. And so yeah, I think it for me. I need to control my expectations as a way to almost like liberate myself a little bit from them. Sometimes I project my expectations for myself onto other people and what might be good for me or what I might expect is good for me. It could be very much the opposite for somebody else. So yeah, I kind of agree with you, Lily. I think it maybe if, if we just kind of let go of our expectations for for others, it would be easier. But then, then the question is how is somebody going to, going to grow as a person if they can't hold themselves accountable? I think expectations of other people and letting go of them would save me a lot of disappointment because when you expect a person to be a certain way based on maybe your first impression of them or your impression of that one time that you did that one thing and then that's your expectation in a new scenario and then they act completely different than you thought it's super like jarring and you're like ah knowing that that people are who they are and they change with different circumstances is better than placing an expectation on them. Honestly, the first thing that I thought about when I heard it was like my relationship with my sister, because it's difficult sometimes to like comprehend that someone I'm related to and am very close with is like very different than me. I have different expectations for her. I expect her to be similar to me, whereas I wouldn't have those expectations for other people. And I think it's been easier to realize that if she did meet my expectations for who I want her to be, it would be disappointing. Like, I don't want (laughs) to live with a clone. Um, (laughs) While it's frustrating, it's also really good. And I think um, what Lily was saying, like, she doesn't want a clone of herself, right? I think a lot of the expectations we hold the people around us accountable to are the standards and values we have for ourselves. And it's tricky to separate those values that you have for ourselves and then understand that other people might not share those values. And you can't expect their core values to change as a person just because your values don't match up. That, that is like almost exactly what I was going to bring up. I think I find myself a lot of the times, like I have these very distinct things that I like to do. 
And sometimes I just cannot understand why someone doesn't want to do the same thing that I want to do because I have this desire within me, this deep desire to do that one thing. I so often have the expectation that other people are the same way as me. And I, I think I, I, that's something that I really need to work on. But I also wonder if we're taking this in a different direction, I, I'm trying to think about who I would be without the expectations of others put on me. Um, like even, even like as we're growing up, we, we are molded by the expectations of our, of our friends and our families and all of that. Um, even if we didn't have this friend group, we'd be different people because we all expect different things from us, from each other. Um, and so in a way I'm really grateful to the expectations around me. I think that's almost a really good way to measure how healthy a relationship you have with someone is, is if their expectations are making you a better person or if they're making you feel crushed because you know that no amount of effort can live up to them. So Mm -hmm. are their expectations good or bad and how that reflects on the relationship in general? I guess that also dives into the question of, do you do the things you do to please the people around you or do you do it for yourself? Or is it like a mix of both? Because if you spend your whole life living up to other people's expectations and not considering your own and what you want for yourself, it's hard to separate yourself from others. Mm-hmm. I think that learning to like do things for yourself and not because of what the pressure someone else is putting on you comes from like finding a deeper sense of self. Because when you're, when you're searching for a sense of self, you do what others expect because that's the way that you can get validation. But if you find what you truly enjoy doing and then you get a reward from doing it, then you don't need to seek out a reward from someone else. And I think that that's kind of what I've learned, especially late high school, finding what I genuinely want to do. I feel like at its root, this is a question of nature and nurture because even if you have things that you love to do, those are shaped by the people around you, if you know it or not. Like Eden, you, you might not have the same passion for art or for creative expression if it wasn't for your your mom. Yep. Would I even be artistic if I didn't have a mom who had me doing art when I was younger? I have no idea. Yeah. So in a way, we are the expectations we are surrounded by. <laughs> we live in a society. Kelly, no. You guys, wait, you know, we should just talk about truisms whenever we get together because I swear, it leads to the craziest conversations. They're fun. The places we end up are <laughs> I also, what I like about truisms is that they're not taking it, or they're not talking about, like, specific events right now that are, like, feel very hot button and, like, our emotions are suddenly, like, very involved and then feelings get hurt. Mm-hmm. It's very philosophical and deep, which is nice to talk about. Yeah, I don't feel like I have to like know facts and statistics. I can like argue kind of like saying stuff out my butt and it's like there's no consequences. No one's going to call me on my like philosophical fact being incorrect. Exactly. Because they're, they're questions of like your morals and values and that you don't really need back. We need to make a field trip to the exhibit, you guys. I need to land an interview with Jenny Holzer. I, I'm determined. Okay, one other <laughs> thing that I want to add that I like about truisms Yes. If, if you took like a group of people with like varying political ideologies and asked them questions about um, gun reform laws or pro-choice versus pro-life, they would instantly split themselves into two groups. But if you ask them these truisms, I think you would find way more overlap and like varying um, opinions, which is good. So like 
maybe we should turn to questions more like these in discussions. And there's not only two answers. I mean, I feel like a lot of the time when we talk about our extreme, you know, political views, there's, there's, there's two different answers. One's right and one's wrong, you know, in each person's opinion. Mm -hmm. But this is not the case for truisms. Plus binary. I would also say that it has to do with our group's dynamic. Like, we will find the gray area on like a zebra. Like, I don't, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the topic is. One of us will be like, so I guess kind of both sides are right. And she's like, yeah, that is where we end up. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I brought this up in our discussion, but we really bring up the spectrum for everything. We put everything <laughs> on the spectrum. Like, I don't even notice it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Ask us to choose and we won't be able to, but we'll be able to tell you why we can't choose. And we can discuss <laughs> for an hour on a question that, that would normally take five minutes. <laughs> we should move on to the next truism. Mm -hmm. I like this one. If you're not political, your personal life should be exemplary. Strongly disagree. Why? Everyone should be political. No, no, this is saying your personal life should be perfect if you're not going to be political. If you're not going to be political. Everyone should be political, period. I, the way I interpret this, I am leaning towards that I agree. Like, the only reason you shouldn't be political is that you have absolutely nothing to complain about and that you're so narcissistic that you don't care if somebody else is suffering. For me, I would say an exemplary life would be I'm doing incredible, I have no complaints, and probably as many people as possible also have no complaints because then I can't complain for them either. But if that's not the case, then there's something, there's something to improve. And I think this truism is more defining political as um caring about politics less so like being personally involved in them mm -hmm. um and yeah if you're not political I think you're apathetic um and if you're apathetic you probably are living a pretty happy life I think <laughs> <laughs> people that are ignorant and just don't care like I would think that they'd be having a good time not the right thing but I feel like actually a bit of a different take we all know those people that you meet who are like oh I'm not political when you ask them about something politics related and you're always like no you just don't put in the time to research because you don't care enough but then I think there's also the people who say that they aren't political because they've been like disappointed so many times by areas within politics and the people around them and they're kind of spent with being in, involved in it. And I think that there's certain people who aren't political because of their ideologies and not seeing change throughout their life and deciding that they don't want to be. I guess I guess I see when I think of this of this tourism, I think of the extremes. Like I think of somebody who is being destroyed by either like they're they're not getting anything from the government. They're not, you know, there's the world is against them sort of or the person that lives the exemplary life but i do think maybe the truism would be more true well maybe it's not an exemplary life as much as it is like one that you can live and not have too many complaints about like i have a hard time believing that if somebody's really suffering in their life they won't be political if they well maybe no maybe even maybe even you have a good point though if you've been let down so many times by like voting then what's the point this will be quick, not long-winded, I swear. 
When we were in Moab, Kate, do you remember that one guy that we read news stories about that lived in Moab on property that like you're allowed to just live on for free? And he didn't have any possessions or any money and he had just kind of been there. Like that guy is not political. He's just out there. I think that that's what I was talking about with the with the side where like his personal life isn't exemplary, but he's not political because I think that there are exceptions. Kelly, what were you going to say? I was going to say that the excuse saying, oh, you've seen politics in action and nothing gets done no matter what. That is a quitter's attitude. That <laughs> attitude makes me so angry. I don't care. Oh, both sides are equally evil. Find the lesser of two evils. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I think it's a quitter's attitude. And I think it's, it comes from just a sense of laziness, a sense of not wanting to do your research because just that, that quitter, quitter, quitter. So actually, I kind of agree though, because like Eden, take the guy in Moab. He just, I don't think he could have lived his life knowing all of the things that were happening outside of his little bubble that was the, the wilderness. Like I would assume that he wasn't very well read on. He didn't read the news every day or he didn't. I, I, I don't want to make myself look really bad here, but why should that guy care about everything that's happening in the world? Like, no, yeah, I get it. Anybody, I feel like there are a lot of, in the, a lot of people in the United States who they, they wouldn't choose the lifestyle of going and living in the woods and, and having no money and no possessions, but they could. Like, I think that there should be people who are allowed to not have to care about everything that's happening. I think it's acceptable. One way that I think you could also examine this truism is looking country by country. So if you were to somehow, if you could quantify like the amount by which people's lives are consumed by the political environment in their country. So you could take a country where it's extreme, like every day they're worrying about the politics of their country versus another one where it's not really on the forefront of people's minds so much. If I had to guess on the countries with a lower average, they're probably safer and happier mm -hmm. um, than the ones where people, their lives are dictated by um, who's in power. Um, but that's just posturing because I have no evidence to back that. Well, that's like people have been saying that hopefully Biden's administration will be quote boring because politics isn't supposed to be something that, you know, people eat up and, and it's like, you know, it's not supposed to be reality TV. Um, but I don't know, would, like Lily, would you say that the people with the lower average in, the, in, that, in that country, well, then they have a more exemplary life so they can be less political, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I was, I guess for that, I was saying that if you're looking country by country, you're, the extent to which you are political could be a, re a reflection of turmoil within the country. Mm -hmm. So then there's a correlation between that and living a happier, freer, safer life. Well, but, but also I, I, this is a totally unbacked thing to say. So don't really question me that much. Cause I, I don't know the facts, but we live in a democracy. So, well, okay. Like a democratic Republic, like we don't live in a true democracy, but citizens here are, can be like really involved in politics. And so I don't, I don't know that comparing the United States to other countries works quite as well when the political atmospheres are different. I think this question is more addressing people who choose not to be politically active or choose not to have political opinions or participate. Like um, uh, Eden, the guy that, the example that you kind of brought up, he was like living in the middle of a forest 
like there's not a lot of politics to vote on in the forest like that's just where he lives like what's he gonna do like summon a council of squirrels I don't know but I think from this point of questions like how you participate in your surroundings and whether you choose not to or not and if there's like not a question of if you can participate then I don't think this question is valid another thing I was well I don't I feel like I get on such thin ice here especially with the, this kind of question where I feel like I'm gonna say something wrong Eden, so, Eden, so, what you say here is indefinitely small in the grand scheme of the world okay um the thing the, what I was gonna say which I again I don't know if this applies to the truism but I feel like what we do we always kind of like stray from it and then talk about other things but take Instagram as an example right now it feels like every tiny thing that happens in politics is made into this issue that is like blown out on social media and people become numb to just seeing every day this new issue that's happening that you should care about that you should be involved in that you should post about that you should sign this petition and donate to this place and care about this it feels like sometimes i'm like drowning in this information i'm like gosh i just don't want to like i i care but i can only care so so much when all these causes are being thrown at me and it makes me want to be less political I think that's a problem with Instagram though. I, like, I think you can be very political without having Instagram. But it's the way that politics have kind of come to mean this one thing, especially because I'm a teenager. Like I'm surrounded by social media and like social media posts. I think there's a difference between having to care about every single issue ever. And you are responsible for every single human being on this earth suffering. <laughs> and you should bear that weight on your shoulders every day. And just not caring about issues at all like I think those politics is like presenting those two extremes right they're like if you don't click and like and share and support this you're you're damning this person to hell I don't know I think there's so many guilt trippy things like that and people need to use those guilt trippy tactics to get like likes and views and shares and stuff and like Kate was saying that's the problem with Instagram in itself I don't think you ignoring those things I don't think you should feel bad about that I don't think you should feel guilty about that I think as long as you care about politics on like a wider like a larger scale that's caring about politics to me there are so many human rights issues and problems that our country will need to solve in the future it sounds bad to say that you can't care about all of them but you can't truly care about all of them because then where will you put your energy it's it's a marathon not a sprint is what i like to think yes in talking specifically about like social media. What I feel a lot is with posting about political topics, it has this sentiment of you need to care about this. But I feel like people need to discover what they care about on their own, because that's what's meaningful. People find that internally versus deciding I care about this because I was told to by the people that I follow. Um, And I think that your connection to a problem, if it's strong and more meaningful, like your output will reflect that somehow. It just, I think it just will. Mm-hmm. I mean, Instagram skews the idea of politics so much and you shouldn't feel guilty for not performing and, and, and telling everybody what you think. If you have, if you support a cause, or if you support an organization, or if you are very, very against a certain policy, there are so many action steps that you can take that aren't like putting on Instagram and saying that's enough. If anything, I think that's not very political, that's performative. The people that we hear about 
um, like the real change makers in the world right now and the activists, they're pretty narrowed down on one issue. They're not spreading themselves so thin that they're trying to address everything. Because I think it's quality over quantity a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you can make a $5 donation to every nonprofit organization and that would kind of be a drop in the bucket or you can make one big donation to one organization and that would be completely transformative for them. I don't know if that's a great example. (laughs) You guys get what I'm saying. Yeah. Or like a lot of those small charity organizations and I don't mean to generalize because a lot of the small charity organizations are doing like all the brunt work, right? But a lot of those are treating more symptoms of a problem and not like the root of a problem like taping up the cracks in a dam rather than like hey maybe we should rebuild this dam so I think ignoring some of those like super small upshoots or like GoFundMe's for this one person that's not a bad thing if you are trying to solve the issue that created that problem in the first place does that make sense yeah yeah that does make sense. Um, I very, I very much agree with you, Kelly. I think there is a lot of things that can be done bit by bit to help people that are suffering right now. There's a lot, a lot of other actions you can take, like concrete policy change. That maybe it's not the immediate solution to something that you see happening right in front of your eyes, but it could be a solution that is more beneficial in the long term. But each is good. So, I mean, I'm not complaining. (laughs) Uh, Guys, I want to do a Truisms Part 3 this year because we are out of time. And I feel like I could keep going forever. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. This was awesome, as always. (laughs) And I'm sure you'll be back very, very soon. Thank you for having us. Another Truisms Garden of Eden episode in the books. Such a big thank you to Jenny Holzer for making this Truisms project a thing and allowing conversations like the one we had today to happen. Uh, That's all for today. This has been Eden joined with my friends Lily, Kelly, and Kate on Garden of Eden, which you can listen to every Saturday at 10 a.m. on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I hope you have a great rest of your day.